All right, welcome in. It's First and Ten, the podcast. I'm Matt Hayes on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. We're getting after it for the next 45 minutes, talking all things SEC football. It's November, it's big games, it's coaching changes. It's almost like it's Groundhog Day every week, and everything is new. Everything is new almost every hour right now. We're going to get into a lot of the coaching change talk. Clearly, Florida and Tennessee are the big ones out there right now in the SEC. There are more on the way, everyone. There are more on the way. we got a very special guest today. we got a guy who's covered Tennessee for more than 30 years. John Adams was the columnist at the Knoxville News Sentinel. He's going to break down what's going on with the Tennessee search. Is there really a possibility that John Gruden could be the next Tennessee coach? I'm thinking no. We'll talk to John about that. We'll talk to John about how it all fell apart with Butch Jones at Tennessee and how now there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of backbiting since Butch left about how Butch ran things. You know, once the emperor leaves, then everybody feels free to talk about him. All right, but before we get into that, we got to do a little housekeeping here. I want to talk about our wonderful sponsor, TicketCity.com. We are in November, everyone. Like I said earlier, these are the games that you remember. These are the important games. These are the games that 10, 20, 30 years from now when you're sitting on your couch and you're talking to your kids and your grandkids and you say, remember when we went to that game at that stadium and those teams and those players? This is what it's all about. You invest time and money in this. I say this over and over. It's not just simply going to a game. It's a, an investment, a weekend investment. It's a life investment. And if you're going to do this and you're going to spend the type of money you want to spend to make it work and to make those memories, why would you not go to TicketCity.com and get the best tickets you can? Okay? Now, Saturday Night South has been working with Ticket City for years, all right? They are the experts in college football. They've served over 1.5 million customers. They've been the place to go for SEC tickets for almost 30 years. Now they're offering $20 off to all Saturday Down South podcast listeners. All you need to do is go to TicketCity.com, enter the discount code SDS20, that's Sally Delta Sally 20, while checking out to save 20 bucks on your order. So go to TicketCity.com, that's T-I-C-K-E-T.com, TicketCity.com, to get your SEC ducats today. All right, now let's go to the hotline. Let's bring in my good friend John Adams from the Knoxville News Sentinel, the print, radio, TV, just all-around superstar of that wonderful town. John, you got a big uh, coaching search going on right now in Knoxville. You got, you're going to give me the latest yep. the latest scoop of what you're hearing? What do you got? What's going on? Uh, yeah, I think this Gruden thing is pretty much a done deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the last time... Uh, the last time they had a coach was Butch Jones, and right after the right after the hiring, I was there at the press conference, and our videographer was there, so I had to go on for about thirty seconds and just give him commentary. And I started out by saying, "This guy doesn't look like John Gruden." And a colleague <laughs> later told me, a colleague later told me that Dave Hart, who was the athletic director at the time, wasn't that far away and was observing while I was talking and he just shook his head and, and frowned when I said that because these groomers have been going on for almost every search and uh, they're a parent again. He has a son enrolled at UT, goes to school here and his, his wife was a cheerleader at UT so that helps fuel the rumors and I think he obviously says things 
uh, that make people wonder if he would go into college coaching. I do think there is really a concerted effort from uh, the major boosters, uh, one person in particular, to to get John Gruden as coach, and I think uh, willing to spend a lot of money. But will it happen? Who knows? Johnny, you know what? This is this is the way I look at Gruden. I think Gruden is one of those guys that loves the whiff of it. He loves the idea that someone's chasing him. He loves the idea that everybody's saying, oh, he'd be such a great coach in college. He loves the idea that his name is out there. It's the whiff of what could be. I think he's one of those guys. I don't think he wants to go recruit. I don't think he wants anything to do with recruiting. You know, I think he's just a ball coach, and if he gets back, it's going to be a place where he just coaches ball. But he clearly enjoys this, whatever you call it, aura, this feeling, this sense of what could be every single time a, a job comes open that is remotely connected to him. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's kind of like you were when I had tried to hire you. You just like <laughs> the idea of somebody pursuing you, see? So you can relate to that. No, I think that, uh, I mean, that's a very sound theory. Uh, I think, obviously, his experience, his background is in the NFL, uh, going to Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. However, I do think that some of these NFL coaches, one of the things they don't like about the NFL is they can't really control their talent. They're, victim, they're victims of the draft. They're slaves to it. I mean, they, and, and so that might have an appeal to it. But I do agree. And I, one thing I'd heard about Gruden in years past uh, in, in another coaching search was that when he was in the NFL, he performed dealing with the more experienced players. Now, that might be true of any NFL coach, so I don't know. Uh, but I tell you what, if he likes uh, adulation and he likes being pursued, then he's got to love Tennessee. I mean, I mean, good Lord, John. Imagine what those people would do if they actually hired him. Yeah, and then, it, I mean, and then imagine, what, what, imagine what they would do if they hired him and then he turned out to be not, not that good at, at the college level. Right, right. He it, turned out to be 5-7. Well, and seven. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there'd be bridge jumping, another 5-7 and seven coach. I think he could succeed in college, though, man. I think he could have coach a lot of guys in the SEC, certainly. And I do think he could recruit on his name. People are crazy about celebrities, and he's a celebrity. He's not just some ex-coach. He's a TV star. And I think when John Gruden shows up in a, in a recruit's home, it would send shockwaves through the neighborhood. So I think he could recruit. Now, I, but I also agree with you. The idea that just the regiment of recruiting and all the time and the idea of making 18-year-old guys feel like they're the most important thing in your world, I think that would be a little bit difficult for him. Okay, so let's – I totally agree with you there. So, so let's let's backtrack a little bit now with, with Butch. And, and if you were if, – if the easiest way for you to sum it up of why it didn't work there – is it simply because it wasn't fit or just because he's just not that good of a coach? Well, that's a short answer. He's not that good of a coach. Uh, <laughs> but really, he was able to recruit well, very good recruiter, uh, player development, player management. Those are two issues that I think really, really cost him his job in the long run. They signed all these players, all these four-star recruits that just didn't develop and just some didn't just fail to develop. They didn't stay. If you go back to the 2014 class, 
the attrition in that class was remarkable. He signed like 30 players, and there are probably 10 left on the team. They should be seniors this year. And a lot of quality guys left. Uh, Butch is not what you would call a player's coach. And I think there was great disparity between the coach that players saw as a recruiter and the one that they actually played for. Now you can say, well, that's true of any coach. And it is to a degree. But I think the disparity was extreme with Butch Jones. The guy they saw that was selling them and, and trying to get them to come to Tennessee, there was just a huge gap between that guy and the guy that actually coached them day in and day out. And I think well, that, that's a, that's that a really, damning statement, John. I mean, yeah, I know it is a damning but, statement. Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, they had. I mean, I, at the end of the excuse me, at the end of the 2014 season, four freshmen left. Four guys. Wow. Three of wow. them were four-star recruits, and one of them was uh, a three-star, borderline four. Uh, one of them is is called uh, Vic Horton. He's got over 50 pass receptions at Cal this year. He's a junior. Uh, Dwayne Hendricks starts in the defensive line at Pitt. Daniel Helms starts at tight end for Duke. Uh, him, I mean, Andre wow. Payne starts at cornerback for Iowa State. You think Tennessee couldn't use those guys right now? Didn't he run off Riley Ferguson too? What what happened with that? Uh, that was that was more involved. I think a lot of that was on Riley. He spoke to, he addressed that uh, in the past. That yeah, he wasn't. He didn't do things he was supposed to do. He was too immature. Uh, but I think it's interesting when you go back and look at that team that Raleigh was on. Had four quarterbacks. The Scott, the starter was uh, Justin Worley. The other quarterbacks were Riley Ferguson, who will be drafted by the NFL. Nathan Peterman, who's going to start this week for Buffalo, right. and Joshua Dobbs, who's at Pittsburgh. And the guy that started was the guy that had no shot in the NFL. <laughs> That's Let me tell you and, something, and man. Was, That's quality he coaching. Was, <laughs> well, no, he was more experienced. He was more experienced, but he, I, I thought Joshua Dobbs should have played more teams than he did, for example. And uh, there was just, I mean, he did it a lot of other things with game day coaching. I mean, when he didn't go for two points against Florida in 2015, when Anybody in the world could look at a chart and say, uh, yeah, i got to go for two here. Right, um, right. When he didn't figure that out, the Oklahoma game, they should have won game, big games in 2015 if they didn't. And in 2016, they just they blew it. The SEC East was there for the taking, and they folded down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I mean really, the last couple of years you could make that argument. I mean, I, I – Previous to this year with Georgia, but the previous two years, I think easily you can make that argument where that that division was theirs. They they probably should have won it both years. So so oh, listen, no, no question, man. So so let so, and and I spoke about this before I brought you on, but it seems you know we always see that once the emperor's gone, everybody feels free to talk about him. And, and now you see John Kelly, who who might be their most talented player, the running back, was asked about you know you know. Or the tweet was something about what do you want in a coach, a different coach, and he, his response was honesty. And that, to me, I mean, you want to talk about a damning statement there. Wow, that's that's a significant statement. Well, yeah, it is. I'm not sure, though, that John Kelly uh, was actually uh, 
you know, was actually taking a dig at Butch there. He he might have been, um, but Kelly's done pretty well with Butch, so I don't know. I, I can't read his mind on that, but I think that's how that is how the quote was perceived. Um, I don't know that John Kelly's that clever to mask that dig at Butch, <laughs> but um, but a lot of people took it just the way you did. And when you think about it, uh, I mean, you could say honesty. A lot of players might say honesty if they if they've been in big time college football very long, uh, right? That's in true. their dealings right. with a coach. I mean, that would be a a common response. You'd just like somebody to tell me the way it is and not play games with me because there are a lot of guys out there playing games. So let me ask you this: If, if Gruden doesn't happen, and let's just agree that Gruden's not going to happen, so we'll move on. If you're Tennessee right now, are you in a situation where you th- see things might be dragging for one reason or another with Chip Kelly at Florida? Wouldn't you swoop in there and take one quick shot at him? Yeah, I would. I mean, if Tennessee has the money to pull this off, to go after the biggest guys, then I would take a shot at everybody. Uh, I mean... That you think you I don't think you're going to get Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, and and those guys are going to leave their own in college football based on their resumes. But I, I, the guys that that I like, I mean, if I could look at guys, okay, let's we'll we'll cast Gruden aside for conversation purposes. But would be Scott Frost in Central Florida. I've just heard so many good things about him. I covered him in a in a bowl game one uh, one year. It was a in his senior year, when the, when Nebraska won the won the national championship by just knocking Tennessee silly um, in the 1998 Orange Bowl, but I was really impressed with that guy then, and I've heard really good things about him when he was at Oregon as a as a quarterbacks coach and later as an offensive coordinator. He learned Chip Kelly's system, and he had that immediate turnaround in Central Florida. And I don't know the ins and outs of uh, UCF football. I just know the results, and I just like what I hear from that guy. So he's one guy I would really like. To me, the other obvious candidate is Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. I was a columnist in Jackson, Mississippi many years ago. I grew up in Louisiana, so I know about Mississippi State football. I know how difficult it is to win as many games as Dan Mullen has at that school. Uh, I mean, you can't compare that to what you do at Auburn, Alabama, or Tennessee, but and and I think he's done a tremendous job there. However, with I wonder with Dan Mullen, would he want to leave a program where he will have a better team at Mississippi State if he came back there in 2018 than he would at Tennessee if he took that a way job. better team? I mean, like a considerably better team, right? Right. I mean that that, that yeah, clearly and, is the that's a question for him. There's no doubt about that. Well, you but, know John, how it works, to be that. fair. Go ahead. To be fair, John yeah. the the, the He's in a, he would be in a much better situation at Tennessee than he would be at Mississippi State long-term, the, the ability to recruit better players there. Right. Okay, but he would be long-term. But you know as well as I that when you – coaches often, when they make a move, it's often because of what they have coming back. That invariably factors into it. I think Dan Mullen – okay, here's the thing. Next year – Maybe Dan Mullen doesn't, you know, reach newfound heights at Mississippi State. But he's not going to fall off the map. 
his next team, surely, even if it's uh, in the worst-case scenarios with injuries and just things go wrong, he's not going to be decidedly worse than he was this year. I mean, I can see he's certainly going to – I think he can win seven games again, certainly. And so, to me, he would be just as viable a candidate for any coaching job next season as he would this. Now, would the opportunities be there? I don't know. Uh, To me, I would wonder, you know, about – to me, Texas A&M is kind of a wild card in this. I think that program has tremendous potential. And – yeah, I, I don't know if Mullen would be considered for that job. I've heard other names associated with. But here's the key thing to remember, Matt, is John Kerry, the athletic director, first-year athletic director at Tennessee, announced at Butcher's firing press conference that he's not going to enlist the search firm. So the logical conclusion is that he, he has a guy or two guys that he thinks he can get. Now, who they are, I don't know. But I'm just saying the search firm is there to facilitate the process. And if you're going to be talking to a lot of different people, it's just kind of helpful and it gives you deniability in the the recruiting search for a coach. So he's not doing that. That tells me he's got somebody he thinks he can get. Okay, so so then let's do this then. With the, obviously, with the early signing period on the twentieth of December, everybody's trying to get a everybody who's looking for a coach is trying to get a coach as soon as possible after the season. Let's say you know the season ends in a couple weeks, uh, and there goes Tennessee. And let's say a week, week and a half, they got their man. My guess, I'm going to give you my guess. That they're going to end up with you. Give give me your guess. My guess is going to be they're going to get Mike Norvell. You think what? Um. Uh. You know, I don't have a good answer to that. I think Mike Norvell is a is a good choice. Uh, if you're looking below that that top line, um, I, I can't. You know, I, I can't think of really anybody else. I mean, to me, if they're not going to get a big name guy, I'm, not that he's you know, he hasn't done well. I just think I, I just don't know. I really don't. Uh, Mike Norvell to me. That would be a possibility. I wonder if Ole Miss is pursuing Mike Norvell. Oh, so you you don't think Matt Luke's going to keep that job? Then you think it's it's just he's done? Oh, I can't imagine him keeping Matt Luke. I, I just that's interesting. I'm not real big on replacing. I'm, I'm keeping the interim guy. I think that's kind of an unusual situation, and sometimes it works pretty good, and and sometimes it. It doesn't work so good, but I just think you get the best guy available. And and what has Matt Luke really done there? They're playing better at the end of the season. I, I that wouldn't convince me. John, listen, man, I really appreciate all your time. You spent way too much time with me, and I know we do the same thing on the phone, but I appreciate it, bro. Well, I like I I, I like being pursued by people. Okay. All right, that's my pal, John Adams. Truly one of the best dudes in the sports writing business. I love him. Love him to death. Just a good, good dude. You can read John's stuff at govals.com. He's on the radio there in Knoxville. He's on TV. Uh, Very smart guy. Knows Tennessee better than anyone. Uh, Really, really, really good dude.
Okay, so let's dig in a little deeper on the entire coaching carousel situation in the SEC. And clearly that means Tennessee and Florida. You know, and we spoke with John Adams about that, about Tennessee. And, and, and I'm under the idea, the thinking that if you are Tennessee and Florida, you've got to go with a little sense of urgency right now about what you're doing and where you're heading. You've got to know who you want. And if you can't get him, you've got to get number two, whoever that is. And, and, and I think it's very important for both of these programs because Tennessee has whiffed on three straight hires since they forced out Philip Fulmer. Florida has whiffed on two straight hires since Urban Meyer resigned with health problems or decided he didn't want to deal with the locker room that he created. And I think it's a little bit of both, actually, there at Florida. So that's five hires, five blown hires at two of the biggest universities in the SEC. And that can't happen. You got to have guys that you know when you hire them will not only recruit well, but will have the acumen, the game day acumen to win big games and, and really win games they shouldn't win. That, that's the true sign of an elite coach is when you're not there yet at that elite level, but you got a guy who will figure out a way to win a game that they probably shouldn't. You know, and make no mistake about it. These are desperate times right now in the SEC. Desperate times. And it's all because of one guy. You know who. It's all because of the Death Star and it's all because of Nick Saban. Because he has raised the bar so high right now in the SEC. He has raised the level of, okay, here's what you have to do to not only win a championship, but be an elite team in the SEC. That there's nowhere to go other than do everything you can to win. And I think a perfect example of that right now is what's going on at Florida and their pursuit of Chip Kelly. Now, there's a lot going on out there, a lot of stories, a lot of different sources telling a lot of different things about what's going on with the Florida job and Chip Kelly. I think they're talking. There's no doubt about it. I think they're both interested. And to me, that's kind of the indicator of where Florida is headed right now and the fact that, yeah, Florida's a little desperate right now. They are a little desperate to get back into that upper echelon of where they used to be in the SEC. Now, two things stand out to me and point to that idea that it's a completely different day right now at Florida. This is a Florida, a university that had held itself out to be, you know, among the elite of the SEC, not football, I mean as a university, as, a, as an academic institution that they don't need to make it all about football to win big. You know, and that was a lot of the problems with when Jim McElwain first got there with the facilities is with Spurrier was simply, you know what, I'll get guys that want to come here and play and we'll win games. And that's what he did. And that's really what Urban Meyer did. And I think the, the administration there, uh, the university got used to that and they figured, well, why can't we get anybody to do that? And that's just not the way it works with, with the majority of coaches. You, you, you know, it, you got two coaches like that that are unique once in a program, once in a lifetime type coaches that Florida had since the 90s and then through the early 2000s and mid 2000s, I should say, with Urban Meyer. Those are two unique coaches that they had. And before we go any further, you know, Jeremy Foley never gets enough credit, by the way, for hiring Urban Meyer. He was the guy who got Meyer to Florida. And I think he needs to get a lot more credit for that. And I know a lot of people will say, well, it was Bernie Madgett because Bernie knew Urban when they were at Utah. Forget about that. Urban had his dream job. And he said his dream job over and over is Notre Dame. He said it since he's been at Ohio State. 
okay? You're not choosing Florida over your dream job because of a president. That's not how it works, all right? Jeremy got Urban Meyer to Florida. Now, you can give Jeremy Foley a lot of grief for the Will Muschamp and the Jim McElwain hires, and that's absolutely all valid. But let's not forget the guy that he did bring to Gainesville. But I also think those two guys, Muschamp, who I think is doing a really good job in South Carolina, and, and probably had he stayed at Florida, probably could have gotten to a point where he could have turned that around. Uh, Muschamp and McElwain are the reason why Florida is where they are right now with the Chip Kelly situation. Because there's no way in years past Florida goes after a guy with NCAA issues. No way ever. Florida just fired a surly, insular, control freak of a coach because he didn't play well with others. Because he didn't fit Florida's ideal of all for one and one for all. You know, because he refused to give information about these alleged death threats. And Florida couldn't have that because then their, their entire campus then becomes a, a security issue, a safety issue. So now you're telling me, knowing that, they've now set their sights on Chip Kelly, a guy who, let me explain what Chip Kelly is, okay? He's surly. He's insular. He doesn't play well with others. He's basically a carbon copy of Jim McElwain. Not only as a guy who comes in and wants to do things his way or the highway, but also as a guy who really doesn't like recruiting and really isn't that good at it. And because he wasn't really that good at it at Oregon, they set up a system where they paid a street agent $25,000 to steer players to Oregon. And I know the NCAA, when they investigated Oregon, They concluded that Kelly was, quote, unaware that his football ops guy. Let me explain something real quick to you about a football ops guy, okay? A football ops guy at a college football program is around the head coach every waking moment the head coach is at the university. He's always there with him. He is basically the head coach's right-hand man. Do this. I need this. Let's make sure this is done. Don't forget about this. The ops guy is the guy that takes care of everything the coach needs. There's no way in hell Josh Gibson, who was the ops guy for Chip Kelly at Oregon, did things without Chip Kelly knowing. No way possible. But the NCAA ruled that Chip was, quote, unaware of what Josh Gibson was doing when Oregon paid $25,000 for bogus recruiting information for basically Willie Lyles, the street agent, to funnel players to Oregon. Chip had nothing. Didn't know anything about it, according to the NCAA. Unaware of it. Yet, now here's the key, everyone. Yet, the NCAA decided, we're going to give Chip an 18-month show cause anyway. Hello? 18-month show cause? If that's not a giant red flag... Flying above the head of Chip Kelly. I don't know what is. The NCAA doesn't randomly pass out show cause orders, okay? We're not saying, okay, we're just going to give this guy a show cause order. We'll give that guy a show cause order. And that's a significant show cause order. 18 months. All right, it's at this point of the program where I'm going to pause and I'm going to explain to you what a show cause order is. Because I'm sure you've heard a lot about the show cause order and you don't really get it. It's a punishment from the NCAA, okay? 
that's imposed on coaches who have been found to commit major rules violations. Again, the NCAA said Chip wasn't aware of what Josh Gibson was doing. Yet they gave him an 18-month show cause order. The order, listen, it's such a detailed and punitive order that it can be transferred to any other NCAA school. So let's say Joe Blow is coaching at Cincinnati and he gets an 18-month show cause order. And if he all of a sudden gets fired and then West Virginia wants to hire him, guess what? West Virginia has to go in front of the NCAA and say, here's why we want to hire this guy who you have a show cause order on. And then the NCAA has to approve that. And then every six months, West Virginia would have to go in front of the NCAA and say, here's what we're doing. Here's what he's done. Here's how we've followed NCAA rules. This is, how, this is what has happened in the last six months. So the general idea of the show cause order is to prevent a coach from getting into trouble at one program and then leaving and going to another. Whereas what Chip did was he got in trouble at one program and then he left for the NFL. And that was that. So when you start hearing people say, well, the NCAA, they signed off on Chip Kelly coaching at Florida. Understand this. Once Kelly serves the 18-month order, the NCAA can do nothing about him coaching at another institution. Nothing. It then becomes up to the specific institution whether you want to hire a coach who has had NCAA issues. That's what it's about. So when you start hearing stuff now and people start writing stuff in the media and you say, oh, the NCAA signed off on it, that's bunk. It has nothing to do with that. Once that order is complete, the NCAA has no control over any coach who has completed the order. None. It then all goes back to each university, each specific university. And this whole idea that Greg Sankey could stop Florida from hiring Chip Kelly or stop Tennessee from hiring Chip Kelly, also absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. Now, the member institutions of the SEC might go to Greg Sankey in the league office and say, look, we're going to hire Chip Kelly. This is why we think, he's, we think he's, he's a good fit for us. Or why we think, you know what, we're going to take a chance on him even though he had the show cause order. Greg Sankey is hired by the university, the member institutions of the SEC. He doesn't tell them what to do. Again, when you read things and you hear things about the NCAA signing off on Chip Kelly or the SEC signing off on Chip Kelly, it's not right. In fact, it's flat out wrong. If Florida truly is pursuing Chip Kelly, it's because Florida is doing it on its own and because Florida believes that whatever Chip Kelly did at Oregon, they're okay with it. They're okay with it. And to me, again, and I've been saying this now for three or four months on this podcast, if you follow this and you've heard and we've talked about this week after week, I just don't understand how a major university could look at what happened at Oregon and look at that show cause and see what happened there. And I don't care that the NCAA said he was unaware. You don't give a coach who was unaware of something the worst punishment any coach can get and give him an 18 months of it. So make no mistake, this decision is Florida's decision and Florida's alone. Or if Tennessee hires him, Tennessee's decision and Tennessee's alone. 
or if Texas A&M hires him, or Arkansas hires him. The decision is made because the specific university, not the NCAA, not the SEC, the specific university has decided that what Chip Kelly did at Oregon is not enough to prevent them from giving him a second chance. And again, I'm big on second chances, players and coaches, okay? Everybody deserves a second chance. Why not? But if I'm in the SEC, I'm a member institution of the SEC, and I'm a program like Florida that kind of holds itself above the win-at-all-cost ideal, there's no way I'm giving him a second chance. I'm saying, look, you deserve a second chance, Chip, just not here. You know, we're going to hire someone else. But I think this whole situation with the way Alabama has dominated this conference, the way Nick Saban has changed the way things are run and done in the SEC, has everybody just a little bit more desperate than they should be right now. Now, I want you to think about this. Since Tennessee fired Butch Jones a few days ago, okay? That is the 25th head coaching change since Nick Saban arrived in Tuscaloosa in 2007. 25th. And we're not even done yet. 26, Texas A&M, 27, Arkansas, are soon on the way. And who knows what else happens after that. And you wonder why everybody's just a little bit more desperate to find the right guy. I mean, here's a, here's a perfect example. If you look at Jim McElwain's contract, all you got to do is Google Jim McElwain contract Florida. And you pull it up and you look at Amendment 9A. It clearly states that the Florida coach will, quote, comport himself with the highest standards of professionalism, personal and professional conducts, ethics, integrity, and morals, as such highest standards are determined by the president of Florida in in consultation with the athletic director, okay? Then the kicker, quote, the university's standards are at least equivalent to the highest standards, and then in parentheses, but may be higher than the standards, end parentheses, of the NCAA, SEC, and other institutions of higher education with premier national athletics programs. So basically what they're saying is, you got to be absolutely perfect if you're coaching this school. So Florida runs off McIlwain in part because he would not tell them about the death threats. There were other things, there's no doubt about it. But the whole idea of the death threats now, he wouldn't tell them what they were and how they, how they happened, that put him over the edge. So they ran him off for that. But then weeks later, they're, they're now going after a guy who paid a street agent $25,000 to funnel players to Oregon. Now, how in the world, how in the world do those two things mesh up? That's the big question. But again, in this age of Nick Saban and everyone chasing the king, does it really surprise you? Because it shouldn't. It absolutely shouldn't. I mean, perfect example, you know, what's Arkansas going to do now? Arkansas fires its athletic director, Jeff Long, who's one of the most honorable guys in the business, a terrific athletic director, but he's out, gone. Why, you wonder? Because, well, one of his hires was Bobby Petrino, which was a little controversial how he got Petrino away from the NFL's Falcons after a year, and then Petrino ran his career into a ditch with his girlfriend on the back of the bike. Then he hires Brett Bielema whose first season at Arkansas was a 3-9 and nine mark and didn't win in the SEC. And now this year, with two games left against 
Mississippi State, Missouri, and Arkansas doesn't have a chance now to win those games, by the way. They'll be 4-8 and eight and 1-7. and seven. So basically identical, almost identical to his first season. Brett's getting fired, too. So then what does Arkansas do? Is Arkansas at the point where, you know what? Let's go find a guy, no matter what, that can help us compete at this level. Because they tried the guy who did it the right way. They tried Bielema. Bielema does things the right way. Brett is a guy who truly values the idea of a student-athlete. He's the guy who literally, and I know you hear all coaches say, oh, we care about these kids. Brett truly does invest in his players. He wants those guys to be more than just football players. So Arkansas tried it that way. And Bielema came in there. He cleaned up that program. I mean, that program was in an awful state when he got there. And I'll give you a quick anecdote about that, too. I went and did a big story on Brett a few years ago. And he said when he got there, players, they have their own separate area of where they can do homework and how they sign into computers and stuff. And then you do your homework and everything's good. You can have tutors. Whatever, whatever it takes, they will help them, okay? When he got there, the players weren't even logging onto the computers to do their work. They wouldn't even do that. Think about that. So they hire a guy who they think can turn around the locker room, can turn around the ideal of, look, let's just play football. They got him. Unfortunately, they also got 4-8 and eight and 1-7. and seven. So now what do you do? Now you say, okay, well, we still got King Kong at the top of the SEC West, and no one's knocking him down right now. So do you continue to do, okay, let's just get the guy who does it the right way, or do you say, you know what? Maybe we might want to get a guy who wins games, and if he's a little iffy, well, we'll deal with that later. Because that's certainly what it's starting to look like right now. I mean, you look at Texas A&M. The only way Kevin Sumlin at least reaches that spot that is A.D. Scott Woodward said he needed to be begin before the season is by winning out. You know, they got to win their next two games, and I don't think that's happening. So then Texas A&M's out looking for another coach. And we'll get into that a little bit as well, too. It's a unique situation right now where the league's best team has been so good for so long, it is now forcing the rest of the league to adjust, but maybe not adjust in the way that, you know, most would like it to adjust. All right, let's move on now to our Weekly, five picks against the spread. We're not talking about coin flips here, man. We are not talking about the old Danny Sheridan coin flips. That's an inside joke between my good friend Brett McMurphy and Jack Aroot and I. We're not talking about coin flips. This is significant against the spread. Here's what you got to do. Again, I'm not gambling. I'm not telling you to gamble. I'm just saying if I was a degenerate gambler, this is what I would do. All right, let's start out real quick. Kentucky's going to Georgia. Georgia's given 22 points. And, you know, we spoke about this last week. And I told you at some point, Georgia was going to play a team that could stop the run. And then we talked about the third and seven-plus scenarios with Jake, with Jake Fromm and how he'd only thrown the ball 22 times in the previous nine games in third and seven-plus scenarios. 22 times. That is just simply not enough reps in that down and distance to see what different teams and different defenses can throw at you. 
It's just not enough, especially for a true freshman. He just simply didn't have the actual repetitions in that down and distance scenario. So then when it happened against Auburn, 10 times, so almost half the amount that he had in the first nine games, he had against Auburn in one game. 10 times it happened against Auburn, all right? Third and seven plus. Fromm was two of eight for 58 yards. He had a couple of, of uh, one was a jump ball. The other one was a nice throw, a nice intermediate throw, turning like a 30-yard gain. He was two of eight for 58 yards, and on the other two attempts, he was sacked. That's not at all a good look for the Georgia offense, especially considering they're either going to play Auburn again in the SEC championship game or Alabama in the SEC championship game. And Alabama, before all the injuries with their linebackers, could stop the run. Now, now I, you know, that's, that's definitely an issue with Alabama moving forward. We'll get into that as well, if not this week, but later next week. I like the dogs laying 22. I mean, let's face it, it's Kentucky. And no offense to Kentucky, but Kentucky is not going to athlete versus athlete against Georgia. It's not going to happen. Georgia's going to line up and they're going to say, okay, Kentucky, here comes Nick Chubb. Here comes Sonny Michelle. Here comes DeAndre Swift. Stop it. And it's just not going to happen. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, I'd give that 22 all day long. And the thing is, too, with, with Georgia, and, and I wrote about this in First and Ten, the column at SaturdayDownSouth.com, I, I, I think the one thing that that Auburn loss kind of opened the door toward I think would be a Jacob Eason return, if not this year, but definitely next year. He, he can't leave because Jacob Eason has NFL talent. He's got NFL arm. He can make throws that I think Jake Fromm can't make. So if you're Jacob Eason and you see that and you see what happened, there's no doubt that that left, that left a little bit of doubt in the offensive staff at Georgia about where they're headed right now. Because when they play a team, that can stop the run. They got to have a quarterback that can make those throws. I think Jacob Eason can make those throws. And again, he's got another five-star guy coming in right after him next year. There's going to be three five-star guys there. A lot of people are, you know, speculating that Jacob Eason's the guy who's leaving. He's going to leave after this year, and he's going to go transfer. I, I just wouldn't do that. I would stick around because I think he could win the job. I think he could win the job next year. Now, does he stay? I don't know. But, I mean, clearly after that game against Auburn, and again, Jake Fromm is a freshman. He's got a long way to go as far as growth. Could be a, an absolute fantastic quarterback down the line. We have no idea. But if nothing else, what happened in those 10 plays of third and plus seven at least gave a little pause to that offensive staff thinking maybe we got to do something else. And maybe that maybe might be something as soon as you know, in the SEC championship game, if Fromm struggles again early, maybe that's when you say, you know what, let's get Eason in there. Let's see what happens. Okay, let's move on. We got Mississippi State fresh off a just tough loss to Alabama where Nick Saban was coaching to win. Dan Mullen was coaching to not lose or get to overtime or whatever you want to call it. Just a just an awful clock management situation at the end of that game for Mississippi State. Um that's a game they could have won, too. That's a tough, tough way to lose that game. Tough for those kids who battled that entire way and then get put in a position with, you know, whatever it was, 130 left in the game and, and 140 left in the game, and, and Dan Mullen's out there basically trying to get it to overtime or trying to not lose. And, and Nick's over there saying, let's get the ball back and win this thing. It's unfortunate, really, really unfortunate, actually. 
I mean, I mean, think about it. 140 to go. You got the ball. First and 10 at your own 23. You got a short pass complete to Green. You got an incomplete pass and a Nick Fitzgerald run for a loss of two. Boom, punt. Alabama gets the ball back at 109, and here we go. Six plays later, game over. Unfortunate, but now you got to move on. Now you're in this position where you got to go to Arkansas. You got to play in front of 25 or 30,000 people there at that game. I mean, that's actually the, the great bet. You want, a, you want a great bet this week? Who has more fans at their game? Arkansas, they're playing at home against Mississippi State, or Florida playing at home against UAB. I'm guessing it might be Arkansas, and there's not going to be many people there, maybe 30,000 tops. So Mississippi State, you're going to go into a sleepy situation where you're coming off a game that you really feel like you had a chance to win. You didn't. Um, You're giving up 11.5 points. You're going on the road. But I I truly believe that Arkansas team is in the tank, and and the, the firing of Jeff Long, who was very popular among the players there, also not a good sign for Arkansas. So I'm going I'm to lay those 11.5 points. I'm going to take Mississippi State. Mississippi State needs to win here and beat Ole Miss and finish 9-3, and three and Dan Mullen's going to have his choice of jobs. If he wants to leave, he's going to have a really, really good team next year. He's got potentially 18 returning starters, including Nick Fitzgerald. Um, that's, that's a big question for him. And the, the question simply is, do you come back for that? Or do you say, you know what, let's start anew, go to another place, start a five-year deal, new five-year deal, uh, more money a place where I can recruit a little easier and see what happens. And it, that's going to be a tough decision for Mullen, who's done a really good job there in a difficult situation. It's not easy to recruit to Starkville. All right, Missouri is going to Vanderbilt, and this might be the biggest lock all season. Maybe the, like the biggest lock at any, anywhere, any conference, any game. Missouri is laying 7.5 points at Vanderbilt. I mean, I, I would probably lay three touchdowns at Vanderbilt at this point. Missouri's playing really well offensively. Vanderbilt's playing really poorly defensively. Can't really score on offense. I mean, this, this is absolutely a no-brainer. Again, I'm not a gambler. I'm not telling you to gamble. But, man, Missouri laying seven and a half, I would take that every single day. And if you are taking that and you are watching what's going on with that game, with a keen eye because, you know, you got a couple Diet Cokes on it. Watch Drew Locke. Right? Before the season began, I spoke to an NFL scout who told me, and he was convinced of this too, that Drew Locke would end up being one of the top three quarterbacks taken in the draft. If he comes out, he's eligible. If he comes out, he'll be one of the top three quarterbacks taken because if he has a, he's at the beginning of this year, he told me, if he has a big year, all right, and he decides to come out, once he does, starts doing individual workouts for teams, and once he starts throwing for teams, people are going to see his arm. They're going to they're really go over what he looks like, his physical abilities, his size. He's going to have more than 40 touchdowns this year, so he's already got the first part laid out. So he's got that, the big season. Now, all of a sudden, scouts are going to look at him with a, with, a, with a more detailed eye. And this guy I spoke with was, like, adamant about it. He said this guy will be one of the top three picks. Not top three picks, top three quarterbacks taken in the draft. And that's, think about that because there's a lot of good quarterbacks coming out this year. This is, this is a year where, where this draft is going to be flooded with quarterbacks. But he, this guy truly believed that once Drew Locke started throwing for teams, once he started having those individual workouts, 
once he started having the individual interviews, that his stock would absolutely soar, and he would be one of the top three quarterbacks taken. So it's interesting. At least give you something to think about where you're watching that game and you got a couple Diet Cokes of a bet on that game. I mean, that's a you got to be kidding me. Seven and a half points, that's an absolute lock. All right, let's move along. We got LSU traveling to Knoxville to take on Tennessee and the Mighty Brady Hoax. The interim Mighty Brady Hoax. Tennessee is just in a very difficult spot right now. Not that good of a team. Uh, doesn't feel really good about itself. Playing an LSU team right now that's playing with a lot of confidence, whose quarterback, Danny Etling, starting to really get into the offense now, Matt Canada's offense, really starting to throw the ball deep well. You know, we spoke about this really, really early this year when I had Danny Etling on the podcast, and, and we spoke about how Matt Canada's offense will put him in position to be more successful in intermediate and deep throws. And it, it's finally starting to click for him right now. You know, unfortunately, you know, two weeks ago, he missed at least four deep balls against Alabama that could have that could have changed what happened in that game. There's no doubt about that. He played very well last week. Uh, I, I think LSU is very confident right now in the way they're playing. Uh, they're giving up 14 at Tennessee. Again, that's you're talking about a team in Tennessee that's done. They're done, dumpster fire, whatever you want to call it, done. I think LSU, you lay those 14. Um, you take LSU, and I think that's, that's, that's an easy, easy bet. All right, the last game in this weekend of uh, very little in the SEC. The last game is Texas A&M traveling to Ole Miss and the Rebels, everyone. Two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. That, that Ole Miss team that began the season in disarray is kind of playing a little better right now, playing with a backup quarterback. This is a pretty good indication of what Vegas thinks about Texas A&M right now. And I think it's, it's, it's a dangerous spot for Texas A&M. It's a game that they should win because they're better across the board talent-wise than Ole Miss. But I'm telling you, this is a dangerous spot for Texas A&M. This, I, I just like the way Ole Miss has played the last two weeks, especially on offense. They're very confident in what they're doing, even with the backup quarterback. You know, I, I'm, you know, Ole Miss is laying two and a half. I think I'm going to lay that two and a half. I think I'm going to take Ole Miss. And that, if you think about that, if you truly think about that, that's just absolutely a shame. If you're a Texas A&M fan, if you're, if, if you're a Texas A&M graduate, whatever you want to call it, Texas A&M, and John Adams spoke about this earlier in the podcast, that Texas A&M is a university that I think wants to be good, will do anything to be good will pay anything to be good. And they simply just haven't found the right guy yet. And, and you will see, Texas A&M will find someone. They will pay someone a lot of money. They will pay his assistants a lot of money because that's what they're doing right now. They will do that. It might even be Jimbo Fisher. But whoever it is, I can promise you this, in a couple of years when Ole Miss might be even worse for the wear with more NCA issues, investigations, whatever you want to call it, that's not done yet with what's going on there. Ole Miss will be, could be worse for the wear. There's no way in two years Texas A&M is going to be going in to a game at Oxford as the underdog. No way. Absolutely no way. There, there's too much money there at that university. There's too many people who want to be good, who will do what it takes to be good. That's not happening. For now, I'm taking Ole Miss. All right, we're going to wrap things up by circling back to the initial topic of this week's First and Ten, the podcast. I want to talk about Florida and the situation 
with their coaching search. Now, here's basically what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is Florida's first option, first choice, the guy they want is Scott Frost. Now, the problem is Scott Frost has made it clear he doesn't want to talk anything about another job, any specifics, till after the American Conference title game, which is the first week of December, okay? Florida clearly has the early National Signing Day looming, bearing down on them. They've got a very good class right now. They need a coach. But if you're Florida and your idea is Chip Kelly or Scott Frost, don't you at the very least, at the very least, wait until Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, when USF and UCF play for the right to win their division and play in the championship game. Because USF, frankly, has more talent than UCF. If USF wins that game, UCF is not playing in the championship game. If USF beats UCF, Florida could literally have someone at Scott Frost's house Saturday morning talking contract. Don't you at least wait one week? Chip Kelly's not going anywhere. Don't you at least wait one week to see if you, what happens in that USF game? I understand the urgency for the recruiting class. I get all that. Personally, I don't think you make a decision, a coaching decision, based on one recruiting class. That's ridiculous. Because if you get the right guy, the other recruiting classes will fall right into place and be better than ever. But if it were me and I was running that show, I would absolutely wait that one week to see what happens in that USF-UCF game. Because to me, that's the key. That's the key right there. If UCF loses, you could be at his house on Saturday talking contract, talking what's it going to take. All right, that's going to wrap up this week. Remember to subscribe, like, talk about it with your friends on social media. We're here every week talking all things SEC football. Have a great weekend with the games, everyone.